0: I'm really pleased to be joined by Tara Daniel from Japan. Taro, thank you so much for joining us no. at ATB Tennis Radio. Thank you, thank you. And I was just telling you that um, everyone was saying that I must talk to you because you're so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very excited to talk to you. So just give us a little bit of background. I know you've had an interesting upbringing, lived in Japan, moved to Spain. Um, what was that like for you growing up, just traveling around?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I was born in New York. Uh, my parents met in New York, and then that's where I was born. And then, But then we moved, you know, really uh, right away to Japan. So I, you know, spent most of my childhood in Japan. Uh, went to elementary school there, started tennis there. And then when I was like 13, my sister was 11, 10, uh, we moved to Spain. And that's where, you know, we started taking tennis more seriously, trying to make it professional. And, uh, yeah, I lived in Spain for 10 years. And then since then, uh, that was like 2017 when I stopped living in Spain. So I've been kind of all over the world, um, but kind of basing myself in Florida a little bit. And, um, yeah, everywhere here and there, kind of. So
0: so doing most of your tennis in Spain, would you have done most of your tennis on clay? Yeah, yeah, and swimming. Spain, a lot
1: of clay, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I'm
0: curious, um, you know, obviously you're great on all surfaces, but do you feel like having that initial start so much on the clay has helped your game overall?
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, I've always had a very kind of a consistent game, even when I started tennis. I was one of those, like, kids that hit a lot of lobs and uh, <laughs> just running around and grinding. And so, actually, the Spanish tennis fit really well with me. And even when I was practicing in Japan, um, I struggled with, like, the faster Japanese surfaces mm. playing indoors. And I struggled with that more compared to other kids. But then I really enjoyed playing in higher bouncing surfaces, clay, uh, even normal hard courts.
0: I think that's interesting. Just talk about, like, having to change surfaces and how much the conditions change week in and week out. Like, are there a lot of adjustments as a player that you have to make that you take into consideration? And what exactly does that entail
1: yeah for sure i mean it's compared to other sports it's a lot of adjustments because uh it's not just the surface it's not just the balls it's like also the weather since we're playing outdoors you know it makes a huge difference when the sun's out or when it's raining or when it's when you're playing indoors and then when it's cold when it's hot you know and then that makes the ball travel completely differently And then, yeah, and then the surfaces, you know, like, even if you have the same hard courts, they can bounce completely different, same with clay, like, there are some clay courts that skid a little bit more, that's not bouncing, but then you have clays in Spain or, you know, maybe in France that tend to bounce a little bit higher, that are a little bit quicker, so it's a consistent, constant, constant, like, adjustment, really, every week.
0: Hmm. And And do you feel like that's basically kind of helped you learn more about your game in particular? Or, or what? How do you feel like you've improved by able to adapting to all those different changes?
1: Yeah. So you know, like I said before, with growing up, I really struggled with quicker surfaces. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's something I've improved a lot on the last two, three years. I won my first challenger on indoor hard courts in Europe. Um, so that would be that would have been unimaginable for me like six years ago or well, what five exactly year- did you have
0: to change would you say
1: yeah well I'd, I'd say like improving the serve okay. first and then like being able to take the ball earlier on the returns um and then you know I think be- being better at the first two three shots of the points mm-hmm. uh because that's a lot of the points end there so being better at those yeah <laughs>
0: and how much as a player uh, do you look into like video and data analysis because that's become such a big thing now Mm -hmm. it's more prominent in the tennis world do you pay attention to that stuff is that something that you like
1: yeah I do I have started that uh you know a few months ago um because that's something I used to really not look at I would really be mm, careful with what type of information I received before I played a match but I think now that I'm more of an adult I'm trying to see what type of information I'm I have around me, and then I choose what to use. Mm -hmm. Uh, Instead, before, I would be very selective of what to see. So now I'm more, I work, you know, a little bit with data guys and then see what kind of data I can pull that could benefit me playing a match, Uh, so... Yeah, it's definitely been something that I've been starting to use in the Is last. Is that something week.
0: you do yourself, or do you have help with that? Because it's a lot of information coming in.
1: Yeah, I definitely need uh, help because <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not I'm not out there like looking on uh, on YouTube and like calculating right. the, the percentage of the first serves or anything like that. I have somebody helping me. Um, well, I think I, I think a lot of players are doing that yeah, these days. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
0: I know you've said it's relatively new, you've just been mm. doing it for a couple of months. Is there anything already that has stood out to you that surprised you that you learned?
1: Yeah, I mean, because first, before you start, you know, analyzing other people, you have to analyze yourself um, and then you have to see like, oh, has everything that I've been working on courts. Is that what I need to practice? Um, And then sometimes the data on yourself helps you kind of refine what to do on court because, I mean, the older you get, you need to be more precise with the energy you spend. Every minute, you know, counts. So, yeah, I think being more precise with practicing and then what to work on myself is definitely a very important thing for me. What Mm -hmm. do you
0: feel like you want to work on after seeing all that data yeah
1: well I think very generally um, (laughs) I'll say you know just definitely improving the serve and you know obviously tennis is becoming way more powerful uh, so a lot of points are actually finishing in the first three four shots that's what I
0: read too I was actually surprised by that you surprised by that
1: yeah I was definitely surprised by it because I feel like my matches definitely go longer (laughs) with longer rallies but even in these on those longer rally matches there are a lot of points that end in two, three shots, mm. so you do need to become more aggressive and better in those in those shots and situations. Mm.
0: And then, just um, I mean, I know you've been everywhere in the world, like you said, born in New York, mm. then Japan, then in Spain, and whatever. But you do represent Japan. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about your experience at the Olympics in Japan. What was that like for you representing that country and actually having it be there? Was that how special was that moment for you?
1: Well, it was very special because I worked really hard to try and qualify for it uh, because I was number five in the uh, the Japanese rankings and you need to be top four in your own country to be able to make it. And it was very difficult to pass people this year because of all the the points were protected because of COVID. So you needed to do twice or triple the effort (laughs) uh, in order to pass. And I was able to do that and I had the Olympics in mind, you know. Uh, because that's it's, amazing! Yeah. congrats! Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's very rare to be able to play an Olympics in your home country. It was really unfortunate that nobody got to, uh, no, like spectators got to see, or even my family. They were there, prepared to see, but then they couldn't watch it. You know, so, so they were
0: actually in the in Japan. They
1: were in Tokyo. But they couldn't go watch you play. Yeah, they couldn't. Yeah, they oh, no. couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't watch okay. it. But, I mean, still, you know, I can always say I played the Olympics yeah. at home, and that's a huge, huge honor. But it also took a lot out of me. Yeah. Yeah. So you know. In, It's kind of recognizing those where where the fatigue goes and stuff like that. But yeah, really great. Were
0: you able to go watch sports? Other athletes? No, no. No, not at all.
1: Yeah. And I think with tennis players, it's a challenge because, you know, as soon as you finish, you're kind of out of there. And, you know, this time with all the COVID protocols, Uh, But my favorite thing in the Olympics is to be in the village um, and then just seeing all the different bodies, you know, because you you have massive guys and then you have really tiny gymnasts and then there's so many variations. So that was really, that's the most fascinating Uh,
0: So, I mean, even though there weren't spectators and you Mm -hmm. couldn't go see other sports, were you able to converse with a lot of the athletes in the village?
1: Uh, Not really. Oh, no. (laughs)
0: I know like, some. Some of them say they talked to a few, and some yeah. of them say, "Yeah, you couldn't really communicate that."
1: Yeah, much. I think it depends on the the building you were in. Okay. So some countries they made like a like an area where you could kind of socialize with, mm-hmm. you know, other athletes from your country. But you know, as we were in a Japanese building, they were more strict. So we didn't really have pl- place where we could sit and kind of talk with other. Mm-hmm. Athletes, but for me, just looking at them was uh, yeah. really the most fascinating thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then I just just curious off court, other hobbies that maybe to do you like uh, like getting an outlet, like sort of getting your mind off tennis. Sometimes. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I
1: for, I'm a huge uh, movie. I really love movies but like you know I like watching the critics and and analyzing what I just saw and then then, you know I like indie movies and yeah those are really things that I really enjoy so
0: so you actually like critique movies
1: I don't for yourself for my within Uh, myself yeah I'm not like posting it anywhere but like I do enjoy like reading other people's critiques on movies to see different perspective of what, what I just saw and stuff so yeah that's definitely something that I really enjoy, and
0: so favorite movies.
1: Uh, I really like Richard Linklater. He's a director, not too. Oh, the two, director. Okay. Yeah. So his movies I really love. Like some, it's uh, one of my favorites is *Boyhood*. Okay. It's a movie about you know just life. a very easygoing movie about life and how you know kids grow up and then you go become an adult, go to college and everything, in a very kind of flowing. You know, flow of time kind of thing. Okay. So it's hard to describe, but say that's my favorite movie. And so Mm. as
0: far as you um, enjoying, like, hearing other people's critiques on the movie, Mm. do you feel like different perspectives they give have helped different perspectives for you on the tennis
1: court? Yeah, well, I think just accepting that different people have different views on it can be linked to how you approach a tennis match because you can sometimes you know w- playing an individual sport you get quite like closed off in your own world and then you forget to talk to other people and see what the other people are seeing and then when you kind of are able to put them put yourself in other people's shoes off court on court wh- wherever I think your capacity to receive information gets a lot greater. So open, yeah. then it'll help you off court, on court or whatever, you know. Have you felt mm-hmm. that way
0: about anyone in this tennis world that you felt like you've had that perspective where you put them in their shoes and you learn something from them?
1: Well, I think it's just like really little interactions that you have in the locker room oh, okay. with different players and you see that we are let's like like let's say we're watching a match in the locker room and then one guy says, "Oh, that's such a that mistake." came because of this or then the other person would say no no, no no that's because of the nerves or the other guy would say that's technique so there's some p- different people are seeing different thing- things on very like small details so
0: overall opening your eyes to different yeah. views yeah yeah, yeah that's cool sure. I like yeah. that <laughs> yeah yeah well as far as you in particular and your and your tennis your perspective are you one that likes to set goals
1: I used to not be um, but now I think as long as I can make the goals like a feel for motivation, um, then I'm for it. But I do need to be careful with being obsessed with it. <laughs> That's been a case with me in the past where I set like, okay, like I'm in a ranking where I'm always close to top hundred. I get into top founder. I go out. So like for me getting into slam main draw has always been kind of a small goal, small goal, you know, and then like, sometimes I get too obsessed with it. And then that kind of influences my tennis in a negative way. So it's important for me to kind of keep the big picture in mind and then keep the direction I'm going into the into the right one. Yeah, but I think setting goals is important.